Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzims. May this class be a refuah shalema for Rabbi Yoshiahu Yosef Ben Zahari. If you'd like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Ariella Davis. Rebitson Ariella speaks widely about finding the relevance and meaning of Judaism in today's world. She has led many trips to Israel for both children and adults. Rebitson Ariella made Aliyah with her family in August of 2020, fulfilling a lifelong dream. She previously resided in Charleston, South Carolina, where she was the director of Judaic studies at the Adelstone Hebrew Academy and the Rebbitzin at Brith Shalom Beth Israel. Rebbitzin Ariella is currently the principal of Opanat Orly in Beit Shemesh, Israel. Opanat Orly is a high school for Anglos and recent Olot who are having a hard time finding their place in the Israeli school system. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay, so it's a funny question. I feel like I've lived many different lives, I guess in my 40 years now. Um, I grew up in the five towns, um, went to a typical girls high school and married a rabbi. We spent two years in Israel. And then we went out of, I guess, what was my comfort zone. and moved to Houston, Texas. My parents were like, you're moving outside of New York. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> um, and then I got the joke even more when we moved to South Carolina. Um, and in Houston, so... We did a lot of education. It was, I guess, a more of a liberal, liberal Orthodox community, which was definitely different from what I'd grown up in. But moving to Charleston was completely different than anything I'd grown up with. Um, I grew up with a community with a family that was all from um, in New York. Like when I married my husband from Chicago, that was like, wow, that's so out of town. And then you move to Charleston, and no one there is from from birth. Like no one. Everyone there is either a Balchuva or a Ger or not observant. And it was the most eye-opening, special experience. We spent eight years there. My life there was literally like the books that you read with the stories that you're like, wow, that's amazing. That was my life for eight years. We, we really, I, I came out of Charleston, a completely different person. I look at my Yiddishkeit completely different now that I've met people who have chosen to keep Shabbos. One person who even lost his job to choose to keep Shabbos. Wow. Like really stories. Amazing, amazing, amazing stories, Baruch Hashem, and it changed every part of who I am. Um, and now I guess we're living a different part of our lives. In August of 2020, we fulfilled, as you said, my lifelong dream. From the time I was a young girl, I wanted to be Prime Minister of Israel. Um, <laughs> it's not a good job. I know that now. <laughs> um, but like my first email address was Zionist 15. Um, in addition to teaching Torah, I was always teaching Israel and following Israeli politics. And like, that's really my great love. So I think many people were not so surprised when we announced we were moving to Israel, but it was a big deal for us because my husband had to give up his rabbinic career, which he loved. And I was the Judaic principal of a school and had spent many years in Jewish education. And I remember teaching my last class in Charleston on Zoom because it was all Corona. I'm thinking to myself, will I ever teach again? Like that's so much a part of who I am. And Hashem made so many nisim, so many miracles for us. And it was about a year after we got here that the school reached out to me. Um, to be principal of the school and thank God I'm teaching again. Um, so I guess very much if I were to look at all the different parts of my life and what I do, I'm an educator. And as you said, I've gone through different parts of education and I've definitely within experiences that I've been through myself, I've learned what education really should mean or at least what I think it should mean. And as you said, I really focus on bringing meaning and relevance to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism, whatever populace and teaching, whether it was people who were not observant in Charleston or on that way, on that path, 
to Olot today who are struggling to find their way, who may have had difficult experiences before. Most of our girls are not like that, but we've definitely had some girls who felt they had negative experiences in other schools that they've been in before where everything was all about skirt lengths. And we're like, no, there's a deeper level to Judaism. So whoever I'm dealing with, I try to find that deeper, meaningful way to Judaism to impact them and to really impact myself. That's beautiful. That's amazing. You make such a difference for so many kids and for so many families. It's really, it's, it's a huge mitzvah that you're doing. Um, <laughs> and I know that one of the things you speak to women about is finding strength, meaning, and resilience to face life's challenges through Torah learning. I mean, it's so true that our world today is upside down completely, and women are struggling with so many challenges, difficulties with kids, issues in marriage, struggles at work, and so many other problems in so many other aspects of life. And we need his, we need strength. And I want to see if you could please talk to us about how women can find the meaning in their struggles in life through learning Torah. Okay, so in order to I'm gonna tell a little bit about my story and how I really found this. Um, as I said, I've been teaching Torah, you know, since out of college, but I was teaching something called Torah Shbal Peh, which is basically the evolution of halacha, where we discuss how a line of the Gemara becomes what we practice today. And that's something I love. Like, I just, nothing more fun than a good juicy halacha share, at least I used to find. I still find. I really enjoy that. Um, when we were in Charleston, um, I went through a situation which was very difficult for me. Um, as I mentioned, I was an administrator at the school, and I really gave my life to the school and to my students. And it was a situation where I was even trying to stand up for other people um, and, and filling in here and there where things weren't necessarily being done. And at a certain point, there was um, someone in the school, whatever, in the board who wasn't so kind and really said a lot of hurtful things to a point that it was almost like going to work every day where everything was great in school. But if I saw that person, it was almost like an abusive situation. And I loved what I did. And every day I would say to myself, like, I have to go back. Like, you know, of course what I'm doing is so important. But then I would get these messages and I would just sit and cry like that for basically a year and a half. It was like, like I just cried every day because we were giving so much and, and people are saying things to you like, you don't understand what's going on. That's not it. And, and most of the people were so appreciative, but one or two people. So it was a very, very hard time for me. And I, I just went back and forth with it. And I knew you can't change anybody else. You can only change how you can deal with things. And I started to see Torah in a very different way. Instead of saying, this is a sheer I'm preparing to give, I started to look at some of the stories we talk about in the Torah and ask myself, like, how can I find strength? How can I find chizok in these stories? And I started to listen to different shirim like Michal Horowitz, who's on Wayu Torah, who's absolutely phenomenal. Not fluffy on any level, but like, just sees different characters in the Torah in a way that we really can take messages to heart. Um, I brought this with me, but Russell Avechik's Chumash Masorat HaRav, amazing, like amazing, amazing. I told my husband, I want to get this. And he's like, it's going to be another one of our books that we have on the shelf that no one reads. And I have like paint highlighting straight through. And he's like, okay, I'm eating my words. Like every week when I read the Persian, I read, I read the Torah, I read Rashi and I read Russell Avechik. Like that is it's been life-changing. It really, and it got me through. There were so many different lessons that I took away from that. And um, Rav Soloveitchik actually says something fascinating. He says that with the mitzvah of learning Torah, there is no mitzvah to learn Torah, which is shocking to us. We're like, what? There's no mitzvah to learn Torah? But what is the source of the mitzvah of Torah? That we should teach our children Torah. And basically what the Rav says is that if we learn Torah and we don't share it, we're not fulfilling the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And therefore, when we learn, we have to share. And I was so passionate about everything I was learning and that it was doing to my life and giving myself strength and resilience and giving me different perspective that I started to share it with a WhatsApp group of Rebbitsons that I was, I'm sorry, it wasn't Rebbitsons, of women in my community. And I started sharing these ideas with them. 
And then a friend of mine said to me, you know, why don't you start a WhatsApp group of different Divrei Torah? You're sharing them every day. Why don't you start something like that? So I did, and that was four years ago. And every day, unless I'm not feeling well or something's going on that day that I really can't, I share my Divrei Torah. And it's really helps me when I start off my day with, I know I have to do a Divrei Torah. I have to find something that's mechazek me, gives me strength. And the group has changed a lot over the years. It was people from Charleston who some are observant, some are not, some are reformed, conservative, orthodox, and we moved to Beit Shemesh. And now we have, you know, people from Beit Shemesh. It's men, it's women, it's people of different ages, different countries. I don't know how many people listen to it every day, but it's mechazek me. And it really taught me what Torah can do to you. It can really give you that strength and resilience and perspective to face life, whatever anybody's going through. That's amazing. It's so cool that you do. So you do a, a debate Torah every single day. And is it um, different different thoughts on the same partial, like the partial of the week that we're in? Or how do you do that? Yes. So it's every... It's every day is a different idea on the parsha. Okay. I do a lot of learning on Shabbos. So some, I, on Sunday, I always do one of the previous parsha as well. Um, so yeah, so it's more or less, it's like six days a week. Um, again, I'm not going to, there are days that like, it, I'm like running up the door and I'm like, oh no, I forgot to do it. And there are times that I'll do it. I usually do it in the morning. There are times I'll do it at night. And then there are times I will forget. Usually I do it. I'm pretty, usually pretty good about it because it's, it's important for me too. And again, it's not important who listens to me. It's more important that I do it for me. Right. Um, but it's really changed my life in so many ways. I totally get that. That's amazing. And that's so amazing that you even recognize it. Like, of course, you're doing it for other people. And of course, you hope as many people as possible hear it. But just doing it is an act of kindness toward yourself. It's an act of a hissick. You're giving yourself strength just by doing it. So I think that's amazing. Um, and so through finding meaning in their struggles, women can discover strength they never knew that they had. And they can use this newfound strength to conquer their challenges head on with dignity. Can you please talk to us about how women can use Torah to transform their struggles into a deep inner strength? Yes. So I want to give two different examples of two different Torah that really helped me. Um, and then maybe that can help everyone else um, and give you an idea of how we can apply this. So it's so funny. Like I always say to my students and, you know, these parashiot of Shemot, Ba'era, Bo, B'Shalach, these are all stories that we feel like we know so well because we know from the Pesach Seder. And a little bit, kindergarten, nursery, they, they kill us with these stories. What do I mean? We prepare for the Pesach Seder and we're having frogs all over the place and we're singing songs about frogs and power in pajamas in the middle of the night. But a little bit we do ourselves a disservice because we're making a story that was so significant and scary and frightening into something that's really like a child level and we really miss the depth. So just for example, I was like just saying this to my students last week, we talk about Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night. What happened to Paro that night? Paro's oldest died that night and he's coming to Moshe and he's saying to him like, you know, get out because he's afraid of his own life and he just lost his own child. I don't think he was jumping around in pajamas that night. You know, like we talk about like frogs here, frogs there. So I was telling my students, I have a, anybody who knows me, a famous, pathetic fear of roaches in Houston. <laughs> the roaches, there should be a different word for the roaches in Houston. They were like so big and they flew and they were so scared. Oh my gosh, I, I can't, I'll get PTSD again. They're horrible. You think about having frogs in your bed and frogs all over the place. I mean, it's not just like, oh, the cute little song. Like these are much more significant than we think about. And we go back and we bring these messages to kind of see that. So the example that I wanted to give is when I was having this frustration in my school and I felt like I worked so hard and I feel so unappreciated by, and I want to make it clear, most people are so kind and so appreciative. One or two people can really determine how you feel about yourself and leave this horrible feeling. So I thought about Moshe Rabbeinu to myself 
And here's Moshe, let me just show off my phone. Moshe Rabbeinu dedicated his entire life to the Jewish people. Not only that, he didn't even have the nachas of his two children necessarily following in his path, right? The next leader became Yehoshua. We're told that Moshe's brother Aaron did have that nachas of his children continuing in the role of Kohen Gadol, but Moshe didn't. So Moshe donates his dedicates his entire life to the Jewish people. And when he dies, what are we told? The people cried far longer for Aaron than they did for Moshe because almost they didn't even realize everything that Moshe did for them. He didn't even get his fondest dream of getting to go into Eretz Yisrael. And the people didn't even appreciate him. At least this is the words of Rav Soloveitchik, not me. So you read about a person who dies possibly feeling not entirely appreciated after every sacrifice he made. And yet today, what do we refer to him as Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe, the leader. Moshe, the rabbi, the teacher. And sometimes it's posthumously that a person really feels that impact, even if they don't feel it in that moment. By the way, I also teach Israel history. Theodore Herzl died, I think he was 44 years old, had spent all of his money and all of his efforts on a Jewish state. He died in 1904, feeling like a broken man. He had not accomplished anything. And here we are today, sitting in the state that he worked so hard for. So sometimes you don't see it at that moment. And when a person is struggling through, whether it's a mother, whether it's an employee or an employer or whatever it is, and we have no, we feel unappreciated, which I think happens to every mother in the world. I'm sure every father too, but is a special place for the unappreciated mother. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We remind ourselves, sometimes you don't feel it then, but many, many years later, everything that we're doing is for our children. And one day they will look back and appreciate it. And they will look back at us and say like, wow, look at everything that you did. Um, so I think that's one piece. Can I give one other example? Yes, please. Okay, so I'll give another example. So when we decided to make Aliyah in, um, you know, we made out, whatever. I decided a while ago, it took a while for my husband to agree. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if you would agree with that assessment, but everybody who knows us would agree. Um, so we decided to make Aliyah. We told our shul in, I think it was November of 2019 that we're making Aliyah. And we had no idea what we were going to do for a career. Again, for a principal to find a job in Israel, not likely. For a rabbi to find a job in Israel, not likely. We had no idea what we were doing. We were sending emails to everyone and they're like, yeah, we'll see, maybe, whatever. Then Corona hit in March of 2020. And if there were no jobs before that, there were certainly no jobs after that. And here we are, we're making Aliyah in the middle of a pandemic. And we're like, how are we going to support ourselves? I can't even tell you the level of stress. Like we have four children. We're like, how are we going to do this? We're going to be on the streets. Like it was definitely very stressful. When we talk about Emuna, like this was a mamish, a step of faith, like a jump of faith. But we really, we said, like, if not now, when my daughter was in eighth grade, she was graduating high school. We don't have a high school in Charleston. This was my lifelong dream. We really knew if not now, when. There's a Rashi in last week's Parsha that really, really, really gave me chizok when I read it at the time. We're told, when B'nai Israel are in the Midbar, right? So we know that they have man. Um, we also know in this week's Parsha, we have the Luchot, which later Moshe throws on the floor. And then he gets new Luchot. Later on in the Aron, those items were all put in the Ark, in the Aron, right? We had a piece of man, we had the broken luchot, we have the fixed luchot, we had a few other items. Says Rashi in last week's parsha, why was it necessary to put a piece of man into the Aron? And Rashi tells us something very beautiful, that during the time of, I think it was Yermiyahu, he says to the Jewish people, right now, you're saying you don't have time to work and to learn because it's so hard to make a living. So who has time to set aside for Torah learning? But he said to them, Hashem... Hashem had sustenance for the Jewish people. They're in the middle of the desert. There's no food. There's no water. And Hashem made food fall from the sky for them. When you make time to do what Hashem wants from you, when Hashem makes 
when you, when things seem so difficult, Hashem will provide that sustenance. And that gave me so much chizuk. And that Bliyan Har, that's what happened to us, that we came here with nothing. And like Bliyan Har, we found jobs very quickly. Um, and Hashem really helps us. And I just want to share also that this person I spoke about in Charleston, who lost his job for being Shomer Shabbos, he had just had a baby. I will never forget getting that phone call in the middle of the night. Here's someone who had gone through so much. She had become a gear and he had become a Baal and they had gone through so much. And now he loses his job with the, and they have a brand new baby. Baruch Hashem, I can't tell you how well they're doing financially right now. We started his own business. He decided he's not going to sue, even though legally 100% could have sued because it's totally against the law what they did. And he's doing so much better now. When we do what Hashem asks from us, it's not always perfect. I'm sure there's many stories where it doesn't work out so well. But I looked at that Rashi and it gave me so much chizok. And there's so many examples like it. That's amazing. It really, really does. Wow. I was, you were telling me that like, it really resonated with me, you know, all the hisic and strength that we can get from the, from, from the Torah. It's amazing. And I could totally relate for sure. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, really life is no, so nonstop. Like you were saying, life is nonstop. There's always something going on. Handling life's challenges with strength leads to resilience. And when we learn how to deal with our challenges calmly with a clear head, without falling apart, we develop resilience. Can you please talk to us about finding resilience to face life's challenges through learning Torah? Yes. Well, first you should have coffee because there's no such thing as doing anything calmly without. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, okay. So that's one idea. Um, okay. So in terms, I'm sorry, just can you repeat the question again, just so I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Sure. Of course. Um, can you please talk to us about finding resilience to face life's challenges through learning Torah? Okay, so that was one example of the ones I gave before. Um, but I think also starting off your day, and that's why I really try to do this in the morning, um, because I think whatever's coming your way, there's two different approaches that we can take. We can say, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? Like life can seem so daunting. When we start off our day, and I think the same thing is true about tefillah, but some people connect more and some people connect less to tefillah, to, yes. to davening in the morning. But if we learn and we see these messages of people who have been through such difficult times, Mashal Yosef, Look at Yosef, look at everything that happened to him, where he's sold by his brothers. At some point, he even thinks his father is in on it. And, and he's like, it's so unfair. I think of most challenges that we go through in life, just it, it seems so unfair. Like, how can that be? I'm doing the right thing. Like, how could it be that I'm facing this? And you look at Yosef and you say, sometimes things happen for a reason. Sometimes I don't understand the path that I'm going through, but there is some explanation at the end. And sometimes we even have that in our own lives where we're able to look back at something that happened to us and say, now I have some idea of why it happened that way. So to start off our day with that approach, I think number one is very, very helpful. On the other approach, sometimes we feel overconfident. And it's also important to realize no, we can't have this approach of that it's all because of me. Anything we accomplish in life is because Hashem is giving us the ability to do so. If you even look at last week's parsha, parsha b'shalach, you can't say because Nachshon bin Aminadav went into the water to his, to his chin or whatever, the nose, whatever the Midrash says, the water split. It's Hashem. So if we go into our day with that approach, looking at these different stories that we're seeing, and we're seeing on one hand, Hashem can give me the ability to do anything, right? We say in Zavning, I'm a chadish, Hashem makes every day start anew. I used to walk in Charleston, all the things that I gave up. I used to wake up at five in the morning and I would walk on what's called the battery by the water and I would watch the sunrise and it was dolphins. It was so beautiful. Beautiful. Everything smells worth it. Um, but what I used to think when I used to watch the sunrise, and you're literally seeing the water come out like the sun, like off the water. And I used to think, wow, it's like having the day born anew. And whatever happened yesterday, 
is over. And today's a new day. It's literally like a new birth. Every day is a new birth. And I think you really get that chizuk when you start off your day that way with Torah learning, reminding ourselves Hashem can give us the strength to do anything. Anything can happen today. Whatever happened yesterday is not important. Everything is a blank slate. Hashem can help us with anything. But on the flip side, anything I accomplish is really from Hashem. So I think that that's, I think, can help us with that resilience in that way. That is so beautiful. I remember a rabbi recently told me, you know, uh, along the lines of what you were saying, every single moment, every single second is a clean state. You can start afresh now. You know, even it's already, you know, we, we've been awake already for a couple of hours. Even if you didn't start fresh, you know, first thing in the morning, even in the afternoon, you take a deep breath, inhale, exhale. It's already a new moment. It's already a fresh start, you know, so don't feel like you're ever trapped and don't feel like you never have Hashem's help because Hashem is with you 24 seven, you know, in the early morning, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, like all the time. And it's really, really been so powerful and life-changing for me just to know I'm not trapped by the past. I'm not stuck there, you know? I can go from the present and move on to the future, knowing full well that I have Hashem on my side and with me to help me doing do everything, just like you said. So, yeah. So just to add to that, when we lived in Charleston, that was one of the most amazing things that I had met, living in a community where everyone chose to do what they were doing. Yes. Meaning when I grew up, everybody kept Shabbos. Everyone kept Kashrut. In Charleston, the mikvah was archaic. We literally had to fill it with water and drain it with everybody's using it. It had 1950s hot pink tiles everywhere. Sometimes the mikvah was too hot. Sometimes it was too cold. Sometimes someone forgot to fill it with water altogether and a woman had to wait two and a half hours to fill it again. But you had women, some of them who were not observant at all, who continued to come back over and over again to use that mikvah. You know, you couldn't find kosher food in the grocery store and you had people who were choosing to keep kosher and people who were changing their entire lives to keep Shabbos. I kept Shabbos my entire life and never thought much about it because that was just what I did. Right. We are all balei tshuva and that's what it really taught me to look at everything afresh and anew. And just to add on, I don't know if I'm like going on and on here. You can tell no, me like to stop. No, you're good. <laughs> okay, so the one other idea that I wanted to share is that also if you look at Yehuda, if you look at the whole story of Yosef, very often we think to ourselves that this is the story of Yosef, right? Yosef is sold. Yosef goes down to Mitzrayim. He becomes the viceroy of Egypt, etc. But if you look at a story, it seems like a non sequitur in the middle of the whole Yosef story. We have the story of Yehuda and Tamar where it seems like Yehuda is going through a pretty big downfall and he has this relationship with this woman, Tamar, and it's like a very sketchy story. But we see something very powerful, that Yehuda is the one who suggested to sell Yosef. He starts to go into this downward trend. He ends up in this bad situation with Tamar, but we see is he becomes accountable. And he says to her, and I always say this to my husband, she says, Tzadkami many. He says, she was right, I was wrong, in public. And we see after that, that Yehuda starts to go back up. And we know Mashiach is from Yehuda. And the concept tells something very powerful that when we're going down, we have the capacity to go back up. And we say, that where a person is about tshuva, when they're able to change their path, they're on a much higher level than a tzaddik, than someone who never erred. And it's such a powerful message because who doesn't mess up? Everybody messes up. But to remind us, we can always get back up. We can, we can mess up today. Tomorrow will be better. Right. And on those lines, you know, if I, if I can just ask, you know, there are people who are listening who, you know, we're all going, we're all going through a lot. Corona, non-corona, you know, we really, really are. Like, what would you say to give his to those people who really just I, I've messed up in so many areas uh, with my kids, with my husband, with my job, with my friends, with my family, just like total, total mess up. Not God forbid, nobody's a mess up, but just the actions that they might have done might have been really, like really, really bad. Like, can even people who have messed up on such such a big level, can even they come up from, from there? Okay, so I think there's two things I want to say to that. Number one, I think that very often things are in our heads, meaning like I messed up, but like, okay, let's say I messed up the 
40 years of my life, God willing, I have a lot more left. And there's a lot more left to live. And I can change anything around. I have literally seen people much older than however old I am. I don't know how many how old your listeners are, but really anybody has the capacity to change their life around with just making the simple decision to do it now. You know, it's kind of like a diet. If we look to ourselves, I have to lose 30 pounds and it's not going to happen. But if I decide to not eat the cookie that I want right now, then I have the capacity to each small decision, make those differences. That's number one. Number two, I think it's power of perspective. Um, I, I it's also a Dvar Torah this week, but I'm not going to say it because I'm like doing too many Dvar Torah here. I'm not a rabbi. Um, but, um, it's all good. So I think even let's say with Corona, and I was saying it last night, I went to a parenting class and I was sharing the theme. Um, I'm going to say it in this way. People who are dating for a very, very long time. I have a friend who dated um, for a considerable amount of time. And I remember I was 23 when I got married, but my friend was much, much older. And I remember we used to discuss that if we knew there was an end date, like, okay, I have to date and date and date, but like by January 16th, 2022, I'm going to meet the right guy. I can deal with it because I know there's an end date. So sometimes we have to have that perspective. And I think you can apply this everywhere with Corona, with everything else we're going through, this is going to end. Corona right now as a principal, oh my gosh, I have teachers. <laughs> my kid isn't be dude, I can't come in. I was exposed. The kid was exposed. Like literally I sent out a message at 2.30 in the morning this week. Okay, we're going to have to go on to Zoom. Like, that's what's happening. And all of us, oh, God, I have to go on this long line, that long line. In my head, and everyone keeps laughing at me, but I truly believe this. It's going to be another two weeks. And then Corona is going to be over because everyone's going to have the Omicron already. And it's going to be done. I hope everybody's okay. And I hope everybody doesn't get it. But this has a short-term limit. This is in my head, but I'm fully convinced of it. And when we can tell ourselves like that and we can put it in perspective, you can pretty much get through anything because you have that perspective. And I think that applies to so many things. Whatever's going wrong in our life, you hear about what somebody else is going through and that puts things in perspective. You know, we go to this parenting class and everybody's talking about the different things that they're dealing with. And you're like, wow, that's really hard. But then you hear what somebody else is going with and you're like, okay, I can deal with that. So I think a lot has to do with perspective. And if we can take that step back, that's another thing. And the one last thing I'm gonna add is that it's something I started during Corona, gratitude lists are life-changing. They are really, really life-changing to remind us how much we have. We have so much, especially in today's world. If you look back at what people before us, people living in one-room apartments and people who are struggling to work and feed their families, we live in a time of such plenty. When we're complaining that all the things that we don't have, if we can take that look of what I do have and try to be grateful for what we have, it changes our entire perspective. So that would be another piece that I would maybe share. That's beautiful. Which I'm telling, I'm telling myself too. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful. And you're right. It really is all about perspective. It's completely, you could have 10 people looking at the same situation and you could have 10 different opinions, 10 different perspectives. And some are, let's say, healthier perspectives and some are less conducive to being emotionally healthy. So it really is, even if we feel like we've messed up so much, if we can really change our perspective and, you know, putting all the things that we talked about together, change our perspective, understand that we could take a deep breath and live from, from this moment on making the necessary changes that we need to make. We could really, we, we can ascend. We can really ascend. So I think it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I want to ask you one last question about, you know, you moved to Israel Tell me, what is the best part of being in Israel? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to keep with the theme and I'll share with the Parsha. The first Parsha we were here um, was Parsha Akev, which happens to be one of my favorite Parshiot. And we we were in Bidud. We, we had to be in our home for two weeks. That's another thing, perspective. When people send me five days inside, there were two weeks. We weren't allowed to leave our house. And it was the beginning of Corona. So everyone was like really scared. 
it wasn't even that bad that my husband and I used to fight at one in the morning. We're not really allowed to break the zoo to take out our trash, but like, I don't want to take out the trash. No, I don't want to take out the trash because <laughs> we were so like hooped up. But I will never forget sitting outside on our porch. We happen to have a beautiful view, even in Beit Shemesh, um, where we see mountains and valleys. And in Parshat Akev, it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu, who so badly wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, is describing the mountains and valleys. And I'm reading the parasha and looking out as I'm seeing it. That was incredibly powerful, the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. I hear my son. Do you have time for a very fast story? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You asked me the wrong question. I can, I, I love this country. Like I can't I can tell you. See. <laughs> I love, I've, I've loved this country since I was 12 years old. And I'll tell you very quickly about how that happened. When I was 12 years old, I got a bat mitzvah book called Forever My Jerusalem. Phenomenal book. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was like, oh, another bat mitzvah book. Who reads them? But I happened to read it. And it's about a girl who lives through the old city before the War of Independence and during the War of Independence. And she describes what it was like to lose her home in the old city I read that book. I was 12 years old. I had never been to Israel before, but my grandparents were obsessed and were always talking about it. And I decided I'm moving to Israel. Um, the author of the book is Pua Steiner. Since then, I read the book with three of my daughters. I'm reading it with my son now. I'll explain why in a minute. And when I was teaching in this school in Charleston, I assigned the book because I was so passionate about it. And actually, someone on the board gave me a problem. You're only telling the Israeli side. You're not telling the Palestinian side. And you shouldn't do it. And, and I made a fuss. I'm like, no, we're doing this book. It, it's a woman's autobiography. It's a fact. I'm sorry if history is not balanced, but history is not balanced. You know, I'd love to change it. It just is, that's the way it was. Anyway, we're reading this book. It's a really, really special book. And I had come on a pilot trip because we knew we were moving to Israel. And I went into a school, no appointment at all, which is the best way to check out a school. You just walk in without an appointment. <laughs> um, and I was in the school three minutes. And I was so impressed with the mizot of the rabbis, the mizot of the children. I decided right there, I'm sending my son there. And I was like, Completely convinced. My sister made Aliyah a year before us, and she calls me one day, sent her son to the same school, and she said, Ariella, you will not believe who's the principal of the school. And I said, who? She tells me it's the son of the woman who wrote Forever My Jerusalem. Wow. Not only is he the principal of my son's school, he is also his second grade rub right now, and I hear them doing Zoom, and they lame the Torah, and they dance when they have Siyams when they finish, and they go into Ulim, and my son gets so excited. These Ulim cost no money at all, but they're crawling in the caves. And my, my second grade son, is that's where the Romans were, and they were learning Torah. And he comes home so excited. There's nothing like the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. It's a hike. On, I love hiking. To hike on the mountains, we're like, who is here? We're Yaakov and his sons hiking there. And I'm walking the gift that Hashem gave us. And I always tell my students, and they complain. First of all, the Gemara says every four steps is a mitzvah in Israel. It's the easiest mitzvah you'll ever get. But the other thing is, Hashem gave us a gift. Hashem gave us the gift of Eretz Israel. And it's like if someone gives you a gift and you say thank you and you put it in the corner and you don't open it up, how does that make the giver feel? But if you open it up and you explore every crevice of it, they feel like, wow, you appreciate my gift. So every time we hike in Eretz Israel, I'm like, wow, I'm hiking my inheritance. And it's such an amazing feeling for me. I, I love this country with every fiber of my being. And I'm so happy to be here with every sacrifice. I'm so happy to be here. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your stories and for your examples and for your debate tour. I think it's amazing. Thank you so much, Rebbitz and Ariella, for joining us today on America's Top Rebbitzins. We really, really enjoyed having you here. And may the learning we did today be for Rafur Shalema, for Rabbi Yoshiahu Yosef Ben Zahari. Thank you so, so much. Wait, can I just add one more thing? Please. I, I meant to say this from the beginning and I totally forgot. I was so inspired by your story that you heard a shir, I think, sometime, and you decided to do this program. And I think it's so incredible that you just heard one idea and here you are inspiring so many women. It's really Yashra Koach to you. I hope I'm ever able to inspire nearly as many people as you've been because like, wow, really Yashra Koach. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.